Welcome to the world of unsexy. From scrap metal to timber, estate planning to freight pooling, this show is a meandering exploration of just how sexy unsexy industries can be. I'm your host, Elaine Zelby, investor at SignalFire and eternally curious human being. In this podcast, we'll peel back the layers of niche and esoteric markets, understanding the history and looking at the future through the eyes of the pioneering entrepreneurs willing to bring technology and exponential improvements to these often overlooked spaces. Join me on a fascinating journey. Welcome everybody. My guest today is Kevin Gibbon, serial entrepreneur and currently the co-founder and CEO of Airhouse, a modern all-in-one e-commerce operations platform that helps direct-to-consumer companies get orders from their factory to your door. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I know this is definitely not your first rodeo, so I'd love to hear <laughs> the story about how you go from software engineer to entrepreneur and what's led you down this path. Yes. So um, I grew up in the Vancouver area. Um, I was an engineer by trade, so I went to school for software engineering. I worked for some big companies uh, like Boeing, um, Raytheon even, um, and I really was just doing a lot of side hustling. Um, and I was selling a lot of things on eBay. Um, and, uh, it was very, very hard to do that. <laughs> um, and so I've, I've kind of always had this entrepreneurial spirit w- within me outside of actually starting companies. Um, and I just wanted to make something really big and, and, and that could change the way people do certain things. So, uh, decided to move down to San Francisco, um, ultimately started, um, ship. Um, to solve my pain points of uh, just shipping things. So uh, what Ship was, uh, was it was a consumer shipping app, uh, take a picture of anything that you wanted to ship. Uh, So we started this, founded this in 2015. um, And uh, we would show up at your door, uh, even on demand, take a packaged or unpackaged item um, from you and ship it anywhere in the world. So it was really great for people selling things in eBay. So you could like, you could even sell a bike and it would somebody to just magically come pick it up and just deal with it or a TV or anything. And it was very user-friendly, great mobile experience. Um, and, but behind the scenes, it was actually very, very complicated. So <laughs> we had our own uh, network of uh, actually turned into, we started out with contractors, but then we moved to employees we had our own vans. They were wrapped vehicles. Um, we would ha- we had our own warehouses. Um, we were at at our height. We were in five different cities, um, and also we had to build all of the software um, behind everything. So that's that was where my background was. Um, I wasn't uh, even even when I was an engineer. I wouldn't say I was the greatest engineer, but I understood how things kind of worked. Um, but I had no experience in logistics or operations or anything like that. So I tried to hire um, just really really amazing people to build that piece of piece of it. Um, and then I learned a lot about logistics and what we built um, was like thinking back at it, it was like very impressive, like knowing how things went through the system and actually got there um, uh, like on time and intact, like the packaging, we innovated a lot on that warehousing. Um, we built our own uh, WMS system, warehouse manager system from the ground up because wow. we didn't have anything that um, would meet our, meet our needs. 
Um, this is also in the, the time where uh, the DoorDashes of the worlds and Ubers of the worlds and everything, they were still um, uh, building their infrastructure. So we had to build our own routing algorithms uh, for our, the actual vehicles. So it was a very, very complicated um, business and with technology and then the logistics, physical logistics, hiring uh, people. We had part-time staff, we had full-time staff. Um, and then we would have all the other similar things that uh, a consumer internet company had marketing. Um, we had sales for small business. Um, we had engineering teams. So it was a very large, at the height, it was about over 300 people in total in all of our locations that we had. Um, and unfortunately that ultimately did fail. Uh, but along the way, I think we built an amazing product for consumers. Um, but some of the problems that we had was uh, where um, we actually, I think we raised way too much venture capital. So we raised $62 million of venture capital. And now looking back at it, it that, that business shouldn't have been venture backed. Um, we had an amazing cons consumer fit, but um, even if you turn a consumer from shipping two, two items a year to four items a year because they're selling more things on eBay or, or whatever, it, the, the frequency of use just isn't large enough. Um, and, and also there's just, when you have a city by city rollout, you have actual capital you needed to allocate in a city to stand it up. Like we, we were leasing warehouses, but we had equipment. Um, we needed to get to a certain volume in a city for it to be profitable. Um, and when it was just, it takes a long time to scale that type of business. Um, I don't think that we should have raised that much money. And it also made us do things that we probably shouldn't have. Um, so that was one of the reasons that did not work out. And also we only really had a fit on the consumer end. Um, the thought initially was that we were going to be able to go up market to the SMBs to eventually the enterprises and everything like that. But we actually found that we did not have as good of a fit in the SMB market. Um, and then also thinking about bid market, like we didn't really have any fit at all because how it worked is that we would have to drive to your location. So that immediately cut down on how big of like for marketing, like how can we, we can only market in these, in these few cities. Like that's diff difficult for an internet marketing like strategy. Um, and uh, also these, these SMBs and bid market uh, companies, these, these, they were direct to consumer brands that were trying to get to use our product. They didn't want to show up at their door. Um, every single day and arranging actually the pickups like that. They want to work on just their product marketing and outsource everything. So tons of learnings from that ultimately did not work out. Um, but that kind of led us to what we're doing um, at Airhouse. Well, I think for a first company, you picked one of the most operationally intensive and complex things you could have possibly done. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you got all of those lessons learned out the gate. I'm, yes. curious, I'm curious, as somebody who didn't come from the logistics or operations space, how yeah. were you able to raise so much venture capital? Was that an easy process for you? Was it really hard? Um, I think that um, it was it, it was very trendy at the time. So um, it was in when on demand was a hot, hot um, area for venture capital um, and and you just think of shipping and it's like, wow, it's such a huge market. Like we can apply, like just like how Uber applied, like they were disrupting the taxi cab market and they blew up. Everybody was thinking, and also I, I pushed this as well, like in investor meetings, I pushed us as 
Uber for shipping. So I think that the, the hardest, the hardest checks are always the first ones to get. So like those first angel checks, I, I didn't really know those, those first angel checks. Um, I didn't really know anybody, uh, in San Francisco. My network is very small. Um, I think, uh, we, it, it kind of tipped. We did one of the first angel syndicates, um, oh, uh, ever. Yeah. We did one with Tim Ferriss, the, yeah. um, the, the author, and he has a huge podcast as well. And said, Tim's great. Um, and so I think that's what kind of tipped us to make, make the fundraising a lot easier, especially also for subsequent, subsequent rounds. Um, we were able to get a lot of press as well. And so we had a lot of attention because we were doing something that, um, it, it was, a, a I would consider it even more than a 10 X better solution than, than what you would have had to do, uh, with going to FedEx or UPS or to shipping things yourself. Um, so, uh, I think we got a lot of attention with that and we just kind of ran with it. And uh, it, looking back, we should have said no to a lot of the, the, the capital that was offered to us to keep us um, really focused on the right things. Um, and, but yeah, at that time it, it, it was not that difficult to raise that much money, even based, I think, I think actually in VC and in, in um, just the, uh, tech in general, I think it actually can be a positive if you don't have a lot of experience in the industry because you're able to take a fresh look at it. And that's what we did. Um, um, we were just looking at first principles of, of everything and um, really reevaluating re how just the basic logistics like systems work. And that's, that was one of the reasons we built our own WMS system um, for our needs. And it turned out to work. Um, and and I now I'm definitely a believer. All of the problems that that logistics companies or they, they all can be solved if they're really focused on um, in the right way. Um, and I think a lot of it is around processing. Um, but I think that if you are dealing in logistics or you're dealing with a logistics company, things do go wrong. You 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 have you're moving physical things around. Um, but I. I took a, a way from ship that you can solve all of these problems if you control everything. Now that's where it does get into, into like where it gets a little hard if you are relying on partners a lot of the time, but all of these things, like when we were at ship and we were designing uh, how we get unpackaged items to the warehouse, we invented like a, a tagging system um, with reusable containers um, that would we would be able to put in, in vans, and we would be able to not have to have a box around something, and and and, and interchange uh, people's shipments with e with each other, and then how that made its way through the warehouse, and how we were able to track the steps at each different area. So scanning everything in a, a specific point um, allowed us to debug if we were missing something or if there was like a process improvement, it's like this process is taking this long on average to reduce the actual, the time that the, the people that are doing the literally heavy lifting are spending on something. Um, you could you can solve a lot of these different problems. Um, and so that was a, a huge learning for me there. I definitely agree with your earlier point around sometimes, especially in really gnarly spaces that coming in with almost a naivete, which I yes. say in like the best sense 
is a huge positive because people who have battle scars would never attempt some of the things or even think about some of the things completely yeah absolutely yes and we did make an early like a early conscious decision not to bring a lot of the people that had a lot of experience um, when we were first building things now to scale we did bring some of those people in and they obviously can be very helpful, but we tried to keep it on people that were very like open to just like, here's the problem. Like how, how will you solution? How will we solve it versus this is what you just do because you just do it this way. No, there's no way you could do that. So I completely agree with what you just said. Yeah. And I remember as a consumer, I loved the value proposition because I'm one of those people who is notoriously horrible at sending anything back. You know, when Zappos yes. came out with the uh, get four pairs of shoes and return the ones you don't like, I wouldn't do it because I knew I wouldn't return the other three. And yeah. so, you know, mostly it's because I didn't want to go to the post office, didn't want to go to FedEx. And so I think the value proposition was so clear to consumers. But right. again, you know, so much complexity. I'm curious, was there a point in time or kind of that first spidey sense that you got of things aren't working or this isn't going to work? Yeah, totally. Um, it's when things, the growth started to flatten out in, in all of our markets. And uh, it wasn't, and, and, and it really was just because there wasn't a, the, enough people that wanted to use us. So we had super, like super, er, our early growth was just like any other tech company. Um, we would scale as a city, like especially like tech forward cities like San Francisco, New York, and it would, they would look great, but then they would just flatten out. And it was just because we kind of just reached like it just wasn't a big enough, a big, big enough um, audience that wanted to use our product. And reuse was great. Uh, we never had a problem with that. Um, the logistics, it, it held up and it got better over time, but it just wasn't a big enough addressable market. Um, for what we where we really fit in which was with consumer shipping yeah. Yeah. so it was very it was very clear but at the time it's it, you you you're you're in it right and you're it's it's like um should we have probably like thought to ourselves this is not a big enough market and like just like look to pivot to something else or something like that especially based on how much capital we raised and um, you could probably look back and, and, and I could even look back and say that, but you, you're, you're always just trying to do new things. It's like, no, if we just do this, like, um, like we were working on like a, a partnership with eBay and like say, no, this is going to be the thing. And, and um, we didn't, it, it wasn't that clear that time that there just wasn't a big enough audience for where we did have the product fit. Um, and then uh, we did try to at the very end. So we did a couple of rounds of layoffs, which was really, really tough. Um, and then we, we moved to a product that um, was very much more um, SMB mid-market focused, um, helping these direct-to-consumer brands with their fulfillment. Um, and we actually started to store people's items into our um, warehouse and ship it out from there. And we got actually amazing pickup on that. Um, and we were doing very, very well, but it was, I think at that time we had like, I don't know, like 5 million bucks left in the bank. Um, we had a lot of overhead still. Um, and it was just a little too, too little too late. And also 
like you've you've brought everybody including the investors and your board along and everything um and then we would have to get more venture we weren't still weren't profitable we were profitable on an operations basis but not on a company basis um so um looking to try to raise additional capital for that um and it's really hard to look at a company that's raised this much money that's 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 burned through this much money um, and to think that this is going to be different, even if it is a completely different product and even if the traction was there. So it was really, really hard to do that. But we took those learnings and myself and my co-founder, Sarah, um, who was who was with me at SHIP, um, we we saw this like huge market and this thing that was just it, it, it there was just so much need for um, these brands to help them out with the fulfill, fulfillment. And that's kind of what led us to start Airhouse. And that's exactly what we're doing now awesome. without the warehouse. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so, so you made the hard decision, which I'm sure was unbelievably tough to shut down ship. And, yes. you know, now you go at the same industry. You're not naive anymore. You have a ton of learnings yep. and understandings. What is Airhouse and kind of how did you take some of those learnings that you had building ship and seeing where the pain points lie and also where the complexity is to turn yeah. it into a new company? So I think that the, the biggest thing was just talking to a lot of customers. So when we did make the pivot from ship, we talked to a lot of customers and, and on the brand side of things. And their, their biggest pain point definitely was on the fulfillment side. Um, and it's because that there, there are, so after you sold something, so you're probably using, a, a, a platform like a Shopify, um, or now big commerce as well. Um, you've manufactured your items, uh, probably overseas somewhere. Um, and you have, you have some customers and you've got them through, um, ads or even just word of mouth or whatever. Um, and then how do you actually get it to your customers? You're not, you're not wanting to actually box up everything. You're not wanting to actually have a warehouse and then actually have employees to ship things out. Um, you look to go outsource that. And there is an industry that's out there. It's the 3PL industry. So third-party logistics. But what was really tough for these modern brands is that it's a really old industry. Um, it's it's very fragmented. There's over 10,000 3PLs in the US today. Um, anywhere from like a mom and pop operation running like a 10,000 square foot warehouse up into like the enterprise solutions that are doing like IBM and Apple's um, fulfillment for them. Um, and it's really hard for a brand to navigate that um, and so we just saw that these brands were growing so quickly. They had such strong fit with their products and they do look niche initially, but you could see it. They just like skyrocket. Like you look at all of the, the brands today, like the, the, the massive ones, like even Peloton is a great example. Like that's a direct to consumer brand. Um, and they're probably, I'm not sure if they're using it at 3PL, but like all of the, the other ones are, and it's just really hard for uh, a, early stage brand to know who to use and then actually operate it. So you have really old school technology, you have like operational based businesses. So even like the sales rep that you talk to is like talking like operational speak to you and you're like, what is, what is, what is this? How does this work? And like the onboarding process is terrible. So it could take up to six months to get up to speed with one of these different 3PLs. And we just thought that no, like the, like my, my experience on the operations side, knowing that you can fix a, a lot of these problems, like with technology and knowing that there's just this huge, like, 
a number of different 3PLs. It's like, it's, it's, it's gotta work. We, we've gotta be able to put together a solution, like a, a modern brand that knows how to talk to these modern brands that has like an easy sign up process um, that can work with the best in class operators on, on these 3PLs. And then also have the best technology that integrates with all of the tools and has a custom workflow for these brands that want returns or they are uh, they have multiple manufacturers from um, all over the world and they need things kitted at the actual warehouse to refrigeration, to frozen stuff, to like the list just goes on and on. Um, we, we thought that we could just make, just focus on that one piece, which actually is a big piece. Um, and then just utilize the rest of the, the marketplace um, and be partners with them. And so that's exactly what, what Airhouse um, did, but, but taking so many learnings on the operations. And then and also it's nice for us because it's like when we go and we talk to and we partner with these these 3PLs, it's like we like I know exactly what they're going through. I know I know the staffing like we say right now we're in we're in COVID. Um, and like I feel for all of these these different warehouses that are having to with having to deal with the employment issues. People are actually getting sick from COVID at these warehouses having this massive peak surge that we've never seen before, like scaling people is not easy. Um, and then you having all of these like carrier issues as well, like FedEx and UPS, like there, some of them are actually turning down business that has never happened ever before. So it, having that empathy of like understanding how it, how it actually takes to run a warehouse I think has made us a much better partner for these different three PLs and knowing what they, they can and can't do. Um, so all those learnings we've, we've taken to, to Airhouse. I would imagine even things like speaking their language, every industry yes. has very nuanced language in the way that they speak. And so I would imagine they take you a lot more seriously, both having the empathy and the language to talk to them. Yeah. It's um, especially right now, yeah. So where they have a lot of, if, if you, because you, you can obviously work directly with a, with a 3PL, um, you'll get a lot of really angry, angry customers right now that don't understand why their stuff is taking, taking so long and like don't understand carrier delays. And we can be that like in, intermediary between them because it's like, okay, we get it. It's like, how do we actually work together to like figure out how to do things? So, and and we know when and also like well connections that I have in the industry and the team does as well. Like we can actually make, make things happen that like maybe a traditional three PL can't behind the scenes. So it's kind of like a win-win for both. It's like, we are a really good partner for the three PLs, but they like for one, they don't have to worry about sales and marketing. It's like, here's just business. Um, and more volume is uh, any three PL wants that. And then we just reduce the, t the time that you'll have to spend dealing with like 80 different brands in a single location or something like that, because we're looking to in the back end automate all of those interactions, those even like it's, it's a very archaic industry. It's like so many things are in emails and spreadsheets and like all of these things. And so that's what we could do for our partners. And on the brand side, we can speak their language as well. It's like, oh, you want this. And like, this is like, here's the real expectations. And like, we could be more proactive. Like we're, we're looking at the like orders that 
like sometimes like the the reality is sometimes like borders will just fall through the cracks and like we have systems that like um will like just detect that and then we we push that up to the three pls where like a brand is you're gonna you're gonna have to initially hire an hire an operations manager that's gonna have to pick a three pl then you're gonna have to have to actually scale an operations team that's gonna be having to deal with all the small things like address validation, which is on you, orders not getting it out on time, uh, purchase orders from your manufacturers that aren't getting processed in time, and you're having to, to really like stay on the 3PL a lot of the time. Um, so we do, and then there's just a whole, like a huge other list of like a dozen other things that you'll have to do. So it's like, we take all of that away from the brand. So we, they can focus just more on their product and marketing. I want to get a little bit more into how you act as this orchestration layer in a bit. But one thing yes. that I thought was so interesting about Airhouse is that when I looked at the team, you were able to take a ton of people from ship and yeah. hire them at Airhouse. And that speaks volumes of you as a leader to be able to have something that, you know, ultimately was a failure and was yeah. a public one too, and yeah. still have people be that loyal and want to try again. So how did that happen? What, what do you think made it such that people wanted to go and follow you again? So I, th- I think that um, for one, I think you, you need to try to always be a good leader. You need to try, always try to be honest with people. So even when the things did get really hard to just be upfront with them and, and they, they know that like they, everybody, oh, I, I also tried to like, even at, at ship and definitely carrying this forward, like, really explain to people like the chances of success are very low. And like, I think joining a startup is like the, 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 the biggest reasons you should is for like your learnings and, and the, the network you're going, going to create um, versus that big fat, like paycheck that Airbnb employees and DoorDash employees gain today, which is highly unlike likely. So I, I think that just being honest and upfront with people um, but also think like, I, I think that a lot of the people that, that wanted to, to come to Airhouse that we've got to join, they just, they just see that, that the team that I've been able to, and I definitely would say Sarah, my co-founder as well. So, so both of us that, that we want to put together, we, we want to be the best, like we're, we're not doing this for like, like a, a single, like we're, we're looking to really like revolutionize the way think like brands actually get their products to their customers. And that's a huge, huge opportunity. Um, so I think that we've been able to um, communicate that and just get people really excited about that. I think that um, uh, I, I'd say my, my skill set definitely lot lies into convincing people to do crazy things. Um, so whether that's employees or um, uh, investors or anybody like that, um, just trying to get them to believe um, so I think that that kind of comes into um, account. Um, and yeah, I think I think those are the, the things, but um, yeah. Well, it's impressive and rare. So I applaud you for that, you know, major kudos on that. Thank you. We also actually have a lot of ex- uh, um, um, former shipment uh, investors as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, so um, they, and I think I like to think that they're, they are the very smart ones that uh, realize that its venture is like the chance of, of success is very, very low. And um, as long as you um, have, uh, you don't do anything, obviously, like 
wrong in the company, um, you're trustworthy, um, and you keep up everybody up to date, and and you are one of those entrepreneurs that really does want to make something big. Like that's how venture works. Like you're looking for those big ones, and that's definitely me to a T. Like one hundred percent, I I want to go. This is this is hopefully going to be a home run. All on all indications look like it's going to be but we still are early um but that's why i think some a lot of the the investors have, have came back as well well there's no question what you're setting out to do at airhouse is a big swing so i could not agree more with that one one question i have is you know you walked through a little bit about the logistics process of working with a 3pl for a merchant there's also reverse logistics which I know uh, less about. So, and I know a piece of the platform is around return. So what happens, can you walk us through what happens when I order from a Shopify merchant and I don't want yeah. it or I return it? So what happens typically today is that a Shopify brand will have a customer support team that will have just a support email that you email and you tell them that you uh, want to return something. And that, that still is the same thing if you use Airhouse today. Now we actually are working with a product, but we are building a product that will change that. Um, but what logistically happens is that they'll send you a return label. Um, it'll go back typically to the actual warehouse where all of your inventory is located, where you're shipping everything out to. Um, and based on the product, there could be a light inspection. Um, there could be a repackaging of uh, just the, um, any kidding or sorry, any like inserts or anything. And then it'll be put back to go on the outbound if on uh, uh, the outbound shipments, if it actually the, the product was in good quality or whatever type of product it was. And then it'll get added back to your inventory. Um, there also is the, the chance that uh, a lot of these brands um, uh, wanna just discard things. So um, we don't work with anybody yet on that side of things, but, and, and typically you only will see this for a lot of the, the really large brands working with, with just very low um, value products. Um, they'll go and they'll ship pallets. So the, it'll go to a single location. Um, and there are, are actually like, I think a company called Toro does this. Um, you could ship it back to a single location and they will either throw it all out for you, they'll recycle it, they'll resell it, um, and just take it completely away from your outbound supply chain. But typically today, most Shopify merchants, it'll go back into um, the 3PL that, that handled all of your um, outbound uh, shipping. Um, but what should happen uh, is it should be as easy as Amazon, right? Like, why isn't there, there like a, a listing of products that you bought um, either on the tracking page that you, you purchase something, or if you, um, something like, uh, I know, I know Shopify is working on, on this. Um, they have a, a, an app called shop that you could track all of your, uh, purchases through a multiple Shopify store. So a drop down to return this item. And then it just gives you the, uh, the, the reasons they are returning, which every single retailer wants to control as well, because every product's different. So at apparel, did it fit? Did it not fit? Or electronics, did it not work? You did not like it, you know, whatever. It's all these customized things. Um, so it should be as easy as going into one place um, and just selecting it and then not having to like, 
you still today do uh, have to print out something, which kind of goes back to ship, and which was one of our, our great features that we had for returns. Um, but it should be completely integrated and you should not have to talk to somebody to do a return, just like you don't have to on Amazon as well. So I think that's definitely where um, on the reverse logistics, everything is moving and something that, that we definitely will power um, and make it easy on the consumer side as much as we possibly can. Now we, we don't, we don't, we're really on the back end a lot of the times. So on the back end, allow uh, a retailer to customize um, what they want to be done on like a per SKU level. Like, do you want to, um, do, do you want people to have to pay for the shipping to return back to you? Do you only want to um, uh, give them a, a refund if like when it ar arrives at the warehouse and it's been inspected, do you want to give it, give them a refund when the first tracking event was actually scanned in? Um, it's all different. And I think that's what, what, what Shopify is really um, kind of getting a little bit away from the, 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 um, on the return side of things, the reverse logistics. I think that's, that's really what Shopify found is that every single brand wants to control all of these different things because they have really unique products and every everything's different. So that's what they've done on the purchasing side of things. And so that's also what we're doing um, on the actual logistics side of things, um, as far as on the outbound side, like which carriers they want to offer. Um, we've had a lot, like, and we when we're very proactive, like now, right, right now, we're getting what are we the sixteenth of December. Um, we're we're recommending all of our like customer, all of our clients are upgrading their shipping speed. I think today would be the last day for ground, um, and, and then they'll have to just upgrade and everything today one one day overnight. Um, we can do that for them, or they could choose not to do that. Um, and it's really just allowing these brands to customize the experience for them. It's not a one size fits all. Even though that you would have thought that like with Amazon, they've tried to make it like that um, for a lot of these different products. It's just, it's just different. Um, and they want to control every, every small piece because that's what makes them unique. And that's why you buy the product. Yeah. One question for you. So right now you're doing the software layer to help coordinate. Yes. Would you ever in the future expand and own more of the vertical stack and go back into owning your own warehouses and act as a 3PL? And I ask for two reasons. One, you said something at the beginning, which I thought was interesting around how 3PLs are long tail, they're mom and pop, but they're super old school. They're using mm -hmm. pen and paper, they're not on modern systems. And immediately I was like, somebody should build a modern 3PL. And then part of my brain is like, that was half of ship. The second thing, is you mentioned the ease of Amazon when you want to return something. And mm -hmm. I love being able to walk into an Amazon Go store or a Whole Foods and just return a product. It is so seamless and so simple. And if you owned the warehousing piece, you could potentially enable something like that for consumers too. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious your thoughts on how, if you would ever expand into that area. Um, no. <laughs> uh, I, 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 and th this, this may be just because uh, uh, of being burnt on that. And that actually may be the wrong decision. Um, but I think that um, we're betting on just this massive marketplace. And I think betting on a single technology, uh, a single 3PL, a single anything, I think you're just going to get outdated. So 
even thinking about robotics, right? Like, okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna build the most modern three PL, like you're gonna have some sort of robotics in there, and and you're gonna you're gonna want to have the most modern X, Y, and Z. But that eventually is gonna get outdated as well. Like, what's the next generation? So I think that if you just stick with the marketplace model and reward on the supply side um, these different warehouses with more volume, I think that they will and they give us lower prices and you kind of can see how this flywheel works. Um, we will be, we'll, we, we won't have to pick the winners because it'll automatically be done for us. And I think that the, 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 the warehouses, like there's gonna be somebody that's gonna be way smarter than us on the operations side that like, um, what's a good example? Um, there's a Chinese company, uh, one of the larger marketplaces, the name's escaping me now, but they have a hundred thousand square foot warehouse. No, no, no. they're doing a hundred thousand orders per day and they have four employees. Um, now, Holy cow. now that may just be just the very sensationalized, like, yeah. and, and it's very specific product and, and that those types of things. But I think that's where like the future of warehousing is going. And so for us, I think betting on any one way to do something, I think short term is that that would be the easier way to go. Um, and but I think long term, just focusing on the customer, building a big brand up to be like, you know, we are like we're, we're looking to be like the Stripe of or Shopify of logistics operations. I think that in itself is like such a huge thing to accomplish, trying to own the back end, while it's not capital efficient, it's very slow. It takes like it, even if you're the best, like it's gonna it's gonna take you six months at least to open up a new warehouse somewhere. Um, so like if you are growing at like venture scale, like and you're growing at, at whatever like even at scale, say 100, 200 percent year over year you're what, having to add 10 or 20 warehouses a year like that and, and keep the same quality. Like that's just, I think it's, it's just very hard, if not impossible. And that's why it also did take Amazon. Um, it took them what, 10, 15 years to get Amazon FBA up and running and really working at their, their clip. So um, I think that the industry now has, it, it's, it's sophisticated enough um, that, um, and also to, to today, like we're not working, well, we still, I guess, I guess we still do work with some of the 3PLs that you use pen and paper, but we are moving up market in the 3PL world as well, that, that are more, they're, they're, they are more strict, which doesn't work for some customers, but they also do have better technology, um, better, uh, warehouse management systems. Um, they're not, they're not at all like consumer friendly, but they are operationally efficient. And when we tie into them, um, we get kind of like the best of both worlds, the modern piece up front that like the consumerization of this to the customers that are using it. And then we could tie into like just the best operational 3PLs. We've actually found that some of the best 3PL partners we have are, they don't market at all. They don't know how to market sales. Oh, and their their interfaces to use their product is just it, it's I don't know how like a, even like a, a sophisticated operations team like on a day to day basis how they're able to use the software that they have 
And so we just like, we integrate with our software. And so we're not having to use like their interfaces on a day-to-day basis. But so that's kind of been an interesting thing to see that they, those types of 3PLs um, that are not great at marketing, have the worst software, um, they actually tend to be the better, like operationally efficient and, and better 3PLs at the end of the day. They probably have to compensate. They have to be very, yeah. very good at operations yeah. because they have to compensate for lack of tech or lack of user interface. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's smart that you you know double down and focus on the software layer. And I mean, good news for you, the pandemic pulled the e-commerce industry ahead by a decade. Oh, man, and, it's crazy. And you have Shopify, who's opened it up to over a million merchants who are now able to sell and make a living. And mm-hmm. all of those people need access seamlessly to logistics, 3PLs, things like that. Yes, totally, totally. Awesome. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. The question I like to end with is, yeah. have you been given a piece of advice or words of wisdom that you kind of live by or has always stuck with you through your career? Um, I wouldn't, I, I couldn't attribute this to anybody, but I, I think for me, the thing that I always uh, just do just by my nature is just focus. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and I'm a big believer, if you just continue focusing on something, you can, you could really um, make something amazing, whether, whether that's like anything related, like even, even like relationships or anything, like I'm not a, a very big, um, do a lot of different things. So you'll, you'll see a lot of people now, a lot of these entrepreneurs that have these like micro funds and they're investing and advising and everything. I don't advise any companies, never have, I'm not on any boards. I don't have a fund. I've been offered lots of those types of opportunities, but I just think that, um, this focus is like just such a, a huge thing. And I just, I, I don't know if I've, that's just kind of came with me or if I've heard that from a lot of different people, but that's just kind of just like, just kind of built into me. And I think that that has um, worked well, well, except for a ship, not totally working out. So hopefully, hopefully focus on just Airhouse. It turns out better this time. Well, hopefully I can absorb some of that focus by osmosis because I think I'm built and wired totally the opposite. I have many people are. Yeah. I think many people are. And they could, and they could do it. And that's, this is just something that just works for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's also why I do the thing I do for work and you do the thing you do. Exactly. Yes. Totally. Totally. Well, Kevin, this has been amazing. Where can people learn more about you and Airhouse? Uh, Airhouse.io. Everything is on the website and, um, and uh, my Twitter, just Kevin Gibbon. Um, And yeah, that's probably about it. Well, I'm looking forward to following along the company's progress and I'm working on a little side project with my sisters that hopefully will turn into an e-commerce store on Shopify one day. So we will definitely be using I, the house. Please, that'd be amazing. That would be fun. Thanks so much for joining us, Kevin. Thanks so much.